So you wanna watch a movie but you don't know which Choosing the one can be a bitch But Jared and Drew have perfected the art So sit back, relax, and trust the dark It's Dartboard Movie Night What's going on everyone? I'm Drew And I'm Jared And welcome to Dartboard Movie Night The podcast where we put 20 movies on a board Throw a dart at it and let the fates decide this week, we're covering what David Lynch called his most experimental movie, which is really saying something. Whoa. We're talking 1999's The Straight Story, the last OG, Jared. The last OG, man. I, I honestly am kind of sad that it's coming off the board. We like, made it to 52. We made it a year. We made it to 52, and I guess, you know... It, it was probably a little fishy that we hit it when we were talking about it or whatever, but it's like if I was in control of this dart, I wouldn't have chosen to to like hit it there. I mean, obviously, I, but it was a left-handed throw, so I have some control, but like uh, that's my offhand. And um, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of sad to see it go, but it lasted a while. It had a great run. We kind of tip our hat to the last of the original board. We do. Uh, it's sad to see it go, but you know, I'm I'm... I'm pleased at least one of them made it this far. That's yeah. that's good. Me too. Um, but anyway, you mentioned the kind of strangeness of the dart hitting this one this uh, last week when <laughs> yeah. we had just mentioned it earlier in the yeah. episode. Uh, you think that's going to happen again this week? Um, I don't think so. I'll tell you. I, I'm going to try change... and shoehorn a few names in just to see if it puts the energy in the air for the yeah, dart to let's, hit it. Let's do that. <laughs> I, I think I'm going to do a different approach this week. I think I'm going to throw... Uh, Right hand, aim for the bull, you know, so like with okay. intent and see what that what that leads us. Um, but uh, yeah, let's let's put some names in the air um, after you re- actually when you run through the current list. Let me know if there are any that like you would like to see. And uh, I'm not going to aim for them, obviously, but we'll just see if putting it into the ether works. So the current board at number one, you can count on me. Number two, Akiru. Number three, Reflections of Evil. Number four, Rio Bravo. Number five, Operation Condor. Number six, Anomalisa. Number seven, Amadeus. Number eight, Election. Number nine, Get Carter. Number 10, The Limey. Number 11, Coraline. Number 12, The Straight Story, today's episode. Number 13, Thunder... Number 13, Night Moves. Number 14, The Karate Kid. Number 15, The Friends of Eddie Coyle. Number 16, Secrets and Lies. Number 17, Titan. Number 18, Snatch. Number 19, Strange Days. And number 20, The Terminator. Did you hear me almost say Thunderbolt and Lightfoot? That was some (laughs) weird muscle memory. So weird. I mean, I don't know if it'll make the edit for last week's episode, but I mentioned what, like how when you were running through the list, I still hear Ex Machina at, at like number two in my head. So that was kind of funny that, that was, you said Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. That and that, and that's where it was on the board. Yeah. It was number thirteen. So that's so fucking weird that that yes. uh, yeah. That what is thirteen now? Thirteen is night it, moves now. That's night the, moves. the Gene Hackman. Oh one you yes, I. Yeah. Uh, that's what I. Hey, maybe that's counts as in the ether. That's the one you stumbled on. Like uh, I actually hope we don't hit it because the fishiness. I don't. Yeah, want you're it to you're continue. now just like playing God with these yeah. dark <laughs> choices. 
Yeah. <laughs> what I do is I, I took Sunday and I rolled uh, every, I threw at the dartboard for two hours and I got camera of every single number and that's what I'm doing. No, I'm just kidding, obviously. I also had a weird impulse when I got to number eight, which is election, to clarify <laughs> that it was the 2005 yeah. election and yeah, not, I was, not the Alexander Payne one. We'll probably have to say that every now and again since it's new to the board, just to throw it out there. <laughs> like, this is not the Alexander Payne election. So anyone's it's trying to get ahead the, on their uh, homework. Hong Kong 2005 movie. <laughs> yeah but anyway that's our board uh currently mm. number 12 the straight story final mm. og mm. let's get into it how about it jared well how beautiful how how beautiful is it that it's the oldest og and this movie is so much about like aging and growing older and kind of end of life sort mm -hmm. of stuff and regret uh, and longing <laughs> yeah it's very it's very poetic that we hit this as the last one in, yeah. in some ways it is but talking about how it got on the board, this being one of the OGs, it's one of the first movies you thought of to put on the board. Why did you want to put this on? Mm. I mean, that first, when we both picked our first 10, that was a really fun sort of like social experiment. This was now like um, over a year ago, not a social experiment, just it was a really fun experiment. No, I mean, I think we started recording the actual episodes of this iteration of the podcast in what December 2021 yeah that sounds right I mean and, and we recorded a bunch before we started releasing them too mm -hmm. but um I was kind of you know fashioning my 10 as were you we were doing that separate of each other and at the time it was still somewhat in the wake of Norm Macdonald's death and I had two movies that I had heard in interviews, obviously after he passed, uh, that he had given shout outs to. One of them is the notorious Sling Blade, which is one of our <laughs> bonus episodes, which is tangled up in rights issues. So Drew wasn't able to track it down and I, I was able to get a DVD copy to rent. Uh, and I, I really like that episode for what it is. It's really, it's a very different because Drew just saw clips on YouTube and he, I would kind of help them piece this movie together. Um, not a movie I really cared for, to be honest, but um, there, I had see, I'd heard this other Norm MacDonald interview with, uh, you know, Nerdist, that podcast? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Norm was on there and this was when he was probably five to six years in his sort of secret battle with cancer. Nobody knew he was, he was dealing with this and he talked about the movie, the straight story. And he, he went on to explain the story of uh, Richard Farnsworth and how he made this movie. And he was like, it's a great movie. You have to see this movie. He's like, it's a hard G it's like, it's G rated, but it's, there's a lot of darkness going on underneath it. And he was saying how Farnsworth had secretly had cancer and nobody knew about it. And it was his last role. And he was dealing with all this as he was going through the performance. And then he ended up doing what was called the stuntman's death. Cause I guess he used to be a stuntman. He kind mm -hmm. of shot himself and left a note for his family and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and Norm went on to talk about how he really thought that was the courageous way to handle cancer. And uh, as opposed to being very vocal about it, that was obviously just his opinion. I'm not saying people should change or whatever, however they want to do it. 
And his point was he didn't he because Farnsworth was nominated for the Academy Award. And if it was known that he was battling cancer, he certainly would have won. And I think Norm didn't want the cancer diagnosis to affect how his comedy was viewed. So that's one of the reasons I think he chose to keep it secret. And knowing what we know now, but what Norm was going through, it, it's a it's a very kind of um, sad but very illuminating piece. And I'm actually thinking about just throwing it at the end after our outro music, just that chunk of it, because mm-hmm. uh, it's really it's really interesting and very well said. Um, and so he mentioned this movie, The Straight Story, and I was like, I've never never even heard of this. So you know that was part of what I wanted from my original 10 is I wanted a bunch that were kind of nagging that I wanted to get to, or was very curious about a shamer, which for me was the sixth sense. And then, um, I wanted a bunch of random kind of heard fleeting things about it. So that was one that went into that sort of category mm-hmm. and, um, kind of did my normal routine of really avoiding additional information. I knew based on how Norm described it, that it was about someone who rode his, riding lawnmower across state to visit his older brother. And I knew what he had said about the hard G and that there was, you know, there was more emotional, emotionally going on than one might suspect. So outside of that though, I didn't know anything about it. And um, I did know it was Lynch too, because Norm did mention that. And I was very kind of intrigued by it all. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of how I heard about this movie. And honestly, having seen it, I'm not going to tip my hand too much about my opinions, but I was kind of surprised that that was the first time I remember ever hearing about this movie. Um, had you heard of this movie in the past before it got on the board? Is it something that you had heard mentioned? No, I, I if I'm being honest, I, I think when you put it on the board, that was the first I had heard of it. Yeah. And when Norm mentioned it, it was the first time I ever did, too. So same here. I'm sure that I had like come across it at times because, you know, there was a period of my life where I would spend hours on IMDb just like looking up old Oscar nominations and like, you know, seeing like. So so I'm pretty sure I at some point looked at the, the 1999 Oscar nominees and saw Richard Farnsworth's name on there. Um, but I don't I don't think I ever put together who that was or, or, you know, the filmmaker behind it or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, no, this was one that had completely avoided my attention until you put it on. So I'm, I'm really glad you did because it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely one that I feel like doesn't get talked about, but people should talk about this movie. Yeah. I completely agree with you. I think it's really, uh, really underseen and surprising for a movie, like you said, that, you know, there was an Academy Award nom- nomination for performance. And that's that was not, again, nobody knew he had cancer. This was not a throwaway nomination for Farnsworth. Um, and I, as I'm sure we'll discuss, a very deserved nomination. Um, and yeah, I'm just, I'm just surprised that uh, people our age haven't really heard it. And there are some very kind of rabid Lynch fans in my life who, you know, they're more drawn to the stranger eraser heads and and you know Mulholland Drive type of Lynch um so maybe that shouldn't be surprising that they haven't really mentioned this one to me before yeah no actually actually my brother is one of those Lynch fans um he you know loves Twin Peaks from what I remember um and I I mentioned to to Patrick that uh this that we were covering this this week and and he was like oh yeah that's been on my list forever and and I've meant to watch it so he hasn't even gotten to it and he's Mm. you know he's a big Lynch fan so you know, there must be something, I um, mean, maybe we could uh, 
ask him if when he comes on the episode, whenever that is, just like ask him like as a Lynch fan, is there maybe either consciously or subconsciously, is he a little turned off by this one's proclaimed lack of strangeness? And I find it so fascinating what you said about Lynch in your intro, because I didn't know that, that he thinks it's his most experimental movie. I, I find that very interesting. Well, I think it's it's a, it's all relative, right? Like, yeah. Because yeah. he's an experimental filmmaker in a lot of ways, and this is the most straight down the middle he's ever produced. Um, so... I think it's kind of a it's he's he's playing on that he's kind of making a joke out of it but it but it is true I think it's like you know for someone whose natural tendency is to go to the absurd and the the extremes um you know maybe absurd's the wrong word for for mm-hmm. for Lynch but uh you know no, point, I think you, you get what word. I'm saying like yeah, absolutely. like when that's your your natural realm that you work in to go this you know uh just traditional you know, pastoral, like, I don't, I don't know. There's like, there's a lot of words you could think about, but like it's, and I don't want to make it like, I'm not trying to dumb it down to be like, Oh, this is just a basic movie movie. Like it's not that, like it's a very complicated movie and it's Mm -hmm. dealing with real human emotions in a really deep way. Um, but it is, you know, traditional, like, like it's, it, when you really break it down, it, it, it does feel like traditional Oscar bait, even though it doesn't feel um, manipulative in in the same yes. way that you might think of that word. Yeah, I think that's I think that's true. If someone heard us talking about this movie and hadn't seen it, they could I could see them kind of lumping it into that Oscar Beatty sort of category. And mm-hmm. it has almost, you know, I don't want to get too bogged down with kind of comparisons, but it's almost a movie you would expect someone like a Spielberg to make or like or somebody like that. It's so. It's such a, uh, and again, it's this is not said, yeah, this is not said as either a positive or a negative, but it's such a traditional type of movie. Um, but I mean, really interesting. And I'm, I'm so maybe, glad. Maybe we, traditional we is not the it. word for it, but it's like, it, it, like, it's very human. It's just, it's yes. very honest and, and real. It doesn't, it doesn't, yeah. it's, there's no heightened reality going on with yeah. this movie. And I'm I'm like teetering on the brink of this word simple. I hate the way it tastes well, in my mouth because it's a little too. It's not what I'm completely meaning to say, but yeah. it it is. Um, I mean, there's a lot of depth to it, but it's a very, on its face, it's a very simple story. Um, but it's it's wrestling with a lot of, uh, very sort of heartbreaking, and uh, be- beautiful ideas. I think, and yeah. it's it's, um, yeah. It's well, one I'm looking forward to seeing how you felt about it and kind of and, and gushing more about it from me, you know. Well, I mean, I think we've kind of tipped our hand probably how yeah. we both feel about this movie. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. but what were your reactions on first viewing? Oh, I I loved it. I absolutely love this movie. Um, it's um, it's a really um, it's a it's a it's a tougher watch than I expected. And even though I had. Um, Norm's mentioning of it being, you know, this darkishness underneath the surface and stuff. Uh, you hear the premise of like an older guy riding his lawnmower across the state to visit his brother. Like, uh, you know, it's something you'd, you'd think is just kind of like a tee-hee sort of thing. Um, and I knew it was going to be more than that, but it was uh, more, um, it was just so much more uh, heartbreaking than I was expecting. And it's not to say, cause it's, it's, there's a real sweetness to it too. So it's not all 
Um, it's interesting gloom, you say heartbreaking. I don't know if I took that from it. So why why do you think really? heartbreaking? Yeah. I mean, I think so I mean, much it is of sad, it, but I, mm-hmm. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, it's um, it's really um, so much of it is about end of life and being in potentially your last few months of of living. And obviously, all of us are uh, are under that threat constantly. We never really know kind of how things are going to shake out. But when you're at that age where it it looms even bigger and is and is even more immediate than it than how maybe younger people perceive, it's really a person um, reckoning with his life, uh, his regrets, uh, and trying to rectify them. But there's a lot of of sorrow in this movie, I think, um, like the stuff with his daughter um, in terms of her you know, Rose played by Sissy Spacek, her being not allowed to raise her children and stuff. And we, we get this sort of kind of, it's a lot of like, uh, just the heaviness of life is kind of throughout this movie and things not working as you had hoped or expected. Um, but also trying to make the best of it and through all of it, trying to have a positive impact on the world and the people you encounter along the way. And I think um, it's just really all blended up in such a such a great way. And then, of course, the the issues we talk about with almost any movie we like, uh, and surely we'll speak of them tonight as well, of cinematography, performance, writing, um, score, like all of these ingredients are done at an exceptional level level as well. Uh, but in addition to that, we have this sort of um, really saturated, um, bittersweet story that I, I found really, um, really impactful. And I watched it, I watched it, uh, this for the second time this morning before we hopped on this call. And on first viewing, I thought, ah, the ending was a tiny bit abrupt. And on second viewing, oh, I was no. like, what? The, no, yeah. Second viewing, I came around <laughs> completely the other way. And I was like, what the fuck was I thinking? Good, because we would have had a big fucking argument yeah, about no, that. No, <laughs> it's the perfect ending. And, yeah. I, and um, I think, I, can I can yeah. I guess why you had that reaction? Yeah, go for it. I think you're going to get it right. Not enough Harry Dean. <laughs> Not enough time with Harry. <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, so... Um, there's there's like maybe one or two false notes that I could kind of nitpick about, but overall I think um, it was a very thought provoking and emotional movie, and especially where I'm at in my life, where I'm kind of exiting youth, like the, the waning days of youth, and kind of start things are starting to get a little rusty around the hinges just in my body. And I know that that's just, you know, if I'm lucky, that's just the beginning of this. Um, so, you know, getting older and yeah. time getting away from you and, you know, one of these days you're going to open your eyes and it's going to be near the end. Yeah. Those, those are things that I'm thinking about a lot more as I, as I age more. And this movie really beautifully um, put all those concerns right in front of me. And I think expressed it, uh, so well and it was just a really a really moving moving movie I, I don't I hate the word picture but it was a very moving movie and um 
it was a great experience. You can and say I think picture, be, but you have to say the picture. The picture. <laughs> the only person who could pull off picture as a phrase is Scorsese. Whenever anybody well, else, no, says I think it, anyone from like that generation does. Like, I mean, Spielberg says picture sometimes, and it and it really works. I could see that working too, but I just love Scorsese. He was like, I had to get my mind around the picture. I had to think about what the picture is. It's like you saying it, Marty, is great. I love the way he <laughs> says it. Uh, but like, you know, someone like me who's not involved with the creation of like narrative film, I, I, I just smacks his insincere. What a picture! I think it's a movie too, like um, that. I think it's going to be like a once every decade. Once every five years, I'll probably check back in on this, and maybe mm. more frequently than that. But it's, I think it's going to continue to ripen as I grow older with it too. Um, but and I'm very glad I didn't see it when I was like 20. I mean, I'm sure that would have been yeah. fine too. But I, it, it, I think I'm I'm at the right age now where it's going to be start meaning more to me than if I saw it maybe six years ago. It's really interesting to me that this movie got a G rating, not because I think it, it should be higher necessarily because like, you know, content wise, it, it's a G movie. You know, there's nothing offensive about it. There's no bad language. There's no violence. There's, you know, it's, it's like as clean as clean gets, but it's dealing with such devastating human experience that like G to me communicates like a kid's movie. Yeah. And like it, this is anything but a kids movie. And it's like, you know, if my parents in 1999 had like seen, you know, this movie on like not knowing anything about it and they saw the G rating next to it and it's like a folksy, you know, old man on a on a tractor, like I feel like they they would have taken me to this movie and I would have gotten nothing out of it, you know. Yeah. At some point you would have looked over and thought, why are my parents crying right now? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, 100%. Like, like he's just telling a war story. What's the big deal? Um, and like, you know, maybe that's a bad example of a scene to choose, but you know what I mean? No, like, no. Uh, but, well, that, no, that scene yeah. is, is, is. Oh, no, that's when even as a kid, heart, I think I've that is where that it is. Heartbreaking. Yeah. You know, yeah. The movie. Um, but no, but like, I want to go back to what you said about the like, like getting older and like, like watching this now, I, I think like I had the same reaction there, which was watching this that like recently within the last year or two, I've been feeling the passage of time a lot more acutely. I feel like than I ever have in my life. Um, something about reaching like your mid thirties, you know, in, in at least in my mind, you know, I'm 34 right now. And, um, that that passage of time, like I feel the days slipping through my fingers faster than they ever have. And it's it can be really humbling to 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 start to realize that and and think about like where has the time gone and like what you know, how am I going to slow this down? I was literally like I was at a dispensary picking up some weed earlier this week. It's the week of 420, so there's lots of deals in, in Denver. And yeah, of course um, there is. I was I was talking to my bud tender, and he was this guy in his, you know, probably late 40s. And we somehow both got on on to talking about the passage of time, you know, and like just like how how much faster it starts to go and like you know, what is what what do we have to do to like slow ourselves down and start to really like appreciate that time as opposed to just like watching it go. Um, so it's so weird that we like that happened and then we hit this dart like later that day and then like watch this movie because I'm just like, I don't know, man, it's it, it, this movie hit me in a really, really hard way. And I was watching this at like, you know, one in the morning last night. 
Um, because I, you know, had a later night than I expected. I met up with a friend that I hadn't seen in a while and had worked earlier that day. So like, it was a longer day than I was anticipating. And I was kind of like, ah, fuck, I may have fucked this up. And like, I, I should have watched this earlier, but like, you know, I had a couple of beers in me after meeting up with my friend and like, man, th- yeah, this, this movie hit me like a ton of bricks. Yeah. Yeah. So you loved it too then? Absolutely. The, yeah. yeah. I, I thought it was mm-hmm. brilliant. Um, oh, so you know, good. like it's, it's. <laughs> immediately Richard Farnsworth shoots to the top of the Yuna's nomination mm-hmm. list for me, <laughs> like for this 50, like it's just, yeah. it's it, it, like insane performance and we'll get to him Un- too. Unbelievable. Um, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it for sure. For sure. But like, but yeah, I mean like, you know, it's, this is one of those movies that it's like, um, like you said, like, like, check back in every five, 10 years or so and just see what it does to you at that point. And like, I have a few movies of that in of like that in my repertoire, like, you know, the before series is like that for me where I like, I check in with it every couple of years just because I want to see like, as I get older, how am I reacting mm-hmm. to these things? And I react completely mm-hmm. differently every time I watch them now, you know, mm-hmm. um, same thing for like, Eternal Sunshine, it's a little bit different where like that movie means something different to me when I watch it when I'm in a relationship versus when I'm out of a relationship versus when I'm going through a breakup, you know, like what that is saying about relationships and and their importance on our life is like it changes for me and warps depending on when I'm watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like this is going to be kind of one of those movies for me like now. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Well, because, you know, this is probably an easy comparison for me to make. Um, But, you know, we're talking about checking in on movies every once in a while. A lot of Alexander Payne's movies feel that way to me, like um, Sideways. And it's so funny you say that. I was just listening to the rewatchables about Sideways yesterday. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they they did pretty good on that one. I don't think think they they, did pretty good. They did pretty good. They could have done better, but, you know, at least it was Fennessy and Chris Ryan who I. That's true. They they know what they're talking about with that. Yeah. And I mean, Sideways, too, like I would imagine, like I have seen Sideways probably a dozen times at this point, maybe more, maybe closer to 20. Mm -hmm. And I so I know the movie Inside and Out. And it is just that's not even actually um, really in this category we're talking about, because those that's a movie I just see all the time and love seeing. But a movie like The Descendants you know, something that's a little bit heavier. And then Nebraska, I think, is an unavoidable comparison with this film. Uh, I am a really big fan of Nebraska. I actually haven't seen Nebraska. Nebraska. Oh, it's, I, I think it's really under, underrated pain. Like, it's, I think it's excellent. Well, I was going to so make, similar to this. It, it's funny, you know, we're talking about pain, too, because I was thinking a lot about About Schmidt in this movie. Mm, yes, yes, absolutely. I, I, I had missed that connection. You're so right. Yeah. The, the sort of uh, Midwestern cross-country, tri- you know, road trip thing. I mean, mm-hmm. I think Nebraska is similar in that way, right? Yes. Okay. So Nebraska is... They're companion pieces. Yeah, for sure. Nebraska is about an aging uh, person with dementia, and he is he and his son... Uh, take a road trip. Right. Um, and uh, it's, I highly recommend it. And, and if you, when you get around to it, I'll be interested to bounce, bounce it around with you in relation to this, the straight story. We have these shots of Farnsworth in, in this movie, just looking up at the stars and it, everything is just on his face to see the questions we all have to deal with of just like, what, what is the purpose of all of this? And um, but again, it's just so unmentioned. Well, so much of his performance in this movie is is nonverbal. Oh my god! It's, yeah, it, and and it's in the way that he 
observes things as opposed to what he says about them. And like, mm-hmm. yeah, like you're saying, like, like there are so many shots in this movie of him just wordlessly reacting to something like the first one, the moment that this movie clicked for me, um, where I was like, this might be one of the best performances we'll watch all year. Uh, was when Sissy Spacek goes to the other room and gets the news that Lyle has had uh, the stroke. And the camera just fixates on Farnsworth's face as he's like watching this thunderstorm. And he goes from, you know, being kind of happy because he's he's watching this thunderstorm and he, he enjoys the, you know, the, the, you know, I don't know. There's something Mm -hmm. very peaceful about watching a a storm like that. And he's, you know, smiling. And then that smile turns very sad as he, you know, kind of hears only Sissy SpaceX side of the conversation, but knows from that, like what is happening. Yeah. His Um, face just transforms. Yeah. And it's clearly something that he's like had weighing on his mind for a while of like, I've, I'm estranged from my brother, like, uh, and this could all end tomorrow and we'll never have had resolution on that. Yes. Um, yeah. And, and so like him realizing what is happening is like him being like, yep. Okay. This thing that I've feared forever has been, is now yes. happening. Mm-hmm. And the other thing too, about getting up into that age, or I would imagine is, you know, whenever the phone rings, you're kind of thinking like, I wonder who else is, is gone now. You know, Mm -hmm. when you're thinking about people your age and a lot of times, you know, those calls come more often than anyone would want, but they, they happen. So he's so, and in addition to like what you're saying about his fear of losing this opportunity to reconcile with his brother has been hanging over him clearly. Um, But also just like, he seems just, uh, just ready for that sort of news in terms of just generally Mm -hmm. speaking, maybe about a friend, like there's at no point is he. I mean, he is processing the information in that shot, but it's very quick. Like, it's not like he's like, wait, what? What did you say? Like, he he was, like like you're saying, kind of prepared for it. And it's all just just written on his face so beautifully. And as we kind of, I think we're kind of pivoting into Farnsworth Mm -hmm. specifically, if we want to go there. Sure. Um, Like, I think it's one of the richest performances I've ever seen in terms of what the eyes are telling me. Yeah. Like there is so much, um, he, I mean, he's got big eyes, so that obviously kind of helps, but when he's welling emotionally or like his, his eyes are filling up with tears or the, the bags kind of hanging beneath them, it is all just so expressive and heartbreaking and evocative. And it's one of the most, uh, stunning things I've ever seen in mm-hmm. terms of just like someone communicating straight out of their eyes. It's like, it's so, it's so impactful to me. You could watch this movie on mute and know everything basically. I, I mean, you would need something to contextualize why he's on this trip, but like all of his interactions, you can kind of tell everything that's happening non-verbally. Like, I, you know, the other scene that that really, really sucked me into this movie was the uh, the young girl that he comes across on the side of the road and then, you know, eventually like invites to his camp, uh, you know, for for wieners. <laughs> yeah, for wieners. Uh, but uh, yeah, like that whole scene, like they never verbalized, 
you know, that she is pregnant and, and, you know, is afraid of her family's reaction. It's all in like context clues. Yeah. And, and, you know, just the way that like, like, I think the only thing he asks that gives, uh, gives it away is he says, uh, how far along are you? And literally the first time I watched it, I thought he just meant how long have you been running away from home? And right. then, and then like a little bit later, there's another line that, that recontextualizes that. And you're like, Oh fuck. Like, Oh yeah. no, this, this poor girl. Like, Yeah. And he just shows it. It's, it's, it's that line. How far along are you? It's doing so much work. It's, uh, you know, it just shows his intelligence. He, really, he, he knew shows, immediately. Like there was yeah, nothing else that should, that would have indicated it. He's very, um, yeah, he's very tapped into what's going on with people, mm-hmm. and he's very kind of experienced. And um, yeah, because I when he said I was, I, I was like, oh, she's pregnant. And then he does that really, um, that really good metaphor of the sticks and the bundle, and mm-hmm. like, um, you know, we have talked about it on this show before, Drew, and. I can't remember what movie it was, but we've talked about my love of folksy wisdom and like my love of like deep truth expressed simply. And yes. um, this movie is is playing. I am playing right into this movie's hands, I should say, in terms of like my love of that, of like of blue collar genius is just something I just adore when it's expressed well, either in novels or or in film. And this movie is just absolutely stuffed with that sort of shit, you know, and it's just uh, it's it's right up there with me. But that stick metaphor is just the first one that comes up in this in our conversation tonight. But yeah, it's just like, ah, that's a good way to view kind of, you know, strength of connection. Yeah. And family, I, I think, is is kind of. It's a broad it's not, term. It's a broad term. Yeah, it's it's yeah. being it's it's loosely used where, you know, like any support system that you have, like, yeah, we're, we're better together than we are individual. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, and yeah, like you said, like that folksy wisdom, like I, it's not usually something that connects with me quite as much as it seems to for you, but in this movie, it just 100% works and it never, it never feels what I, what I hate about that is like, I think sometimes like folksy wisdom can be oversimplified to an extent to where like it, I, I think it does a disservice to, you know, the, like the complexities of life, but like, I think in the context of this character and, and this, you know, this movie, I don't know. It just, it just worked completely for me every time he gave one of those kind of one liners and like, you know, another, another scene like that, less so like in terms of like having like a metaphor to it, but like when he, has the whole negotiating thing with the, the brothers, um, mm-hmm. you know, that fixed the lawnmower. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't like that scene at first because I thought the, the two actors were hamming it up in a way that I just was like, okay, this isn't funny. Like let's, let's yeah. move on. Um, but then, you know, when it goes from like this comedic scene of, of, uh, Farnsworth negotiating with these guys on like, you know, getting the cost of the repairs down, and then he, and then he he hits you over the head with a fucking brick, you know, of just yeah. like, you know, hey, like speaking from experience, like, you know, your brother's the relationship you have with your brother is insanely important. Like cherish this, like don't throw it away for this stupid petty bullshit, like yeah. is essentially like the undercurrent of what he's saying. And like, man, that like, again, it was just like, like 
I didn't mind the movie preaching to me at that point. No, because yeah, we like the character and and uh, his intelligence comes through. And, you know, you mentioned your brother earlier. I was curious about how that uh, scene impacted you, because I personally don't have a brother. I have, you know, a sister of about the same age, which is incredibly similar. But Mm -hmm. um, I was I've always I I want just I'm glad you brought it up because I was curious about how you felt about that scene as someone who has a similarly aged brother, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, my brother's my best friend. I, I love my brother. He's, you yeah. know, um, I, I think that's definitely like a relationship that I lean on, you know, when I'm, you know, at low points. And, um, so I definitely like, yeah, I appreciated that sentiment sentiment fully. Like it's, you know, I, I don't, I don't know what else to say. Yeah. I mean, it no, def- but it definitely, it definitely like, like it resonated, resonated. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And like another kind of in the line of folksy wisdom, sort of like uh, Farnsworth monologues, is the one where he's talking to the road cyclists about getting older. Like mm-hmm. that was one that really kind of that uh, cut me deep in um, in a really good way. Of the just worst like, thing about getting older is remembering when you were young. Yeah, which was just like, oh, what a kick in the stomach. And also like that, that whole string of sentences before that where where at the the first question is um what's a good thing about getting older there must be some positives and he talks about like well you've seen everything life can throw at you and you you know you learn to separate the wheat from the chaff and blah and it's just like ah i'm just like in heaven in terms of just like again deep truth expressed simply and uh but then it then it really rears and kind of rears its leg up and kicks me in the stomach with that kind of remembering when you're young thing. Um, but it's just, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful monologue delivered perfectly. And again, he's just got so much going on. And you think, we think about what he's going through in his life and for real in terms of Farnsworth at this point secretly has cancer and he, he knows he doesn't have long to live. It's all coming across. So, um, it's just so sad, but it's so beautiful. Like it's, it's just really, it's in, it's an incredible, incredible performance. What a way for Farnsworth to go out. This being like the last thing you do, like your, your last will and Testament, you know, as a, as an actor. Um, but it, it is crazy. Cause like, you know, I'm not, I'm not familiar with Richard Farnsworth in, in terms of like, like I, I've, I knew of his name, but I didn't, I didn't, remember any performances of his that I had seen and and yeah so I just didn't have a frame of reference on Richard Farnsworth and when I watched this movie I was just like is this just the real guy like is it is this did they just pluck this guy off a goddamn farm in Iowa like what what did they like what was the casting part and I was like no no he's just like a celebrated actor that's been around (laughs) forever and he so embodies this character Mm -hmm. that like no part of it felt untrue to me it, it no. it's like it 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 is incredible how much he just becomes yeah. this person yeah it i i didn't do a ton of kind of like deep dive research but i did watch a couple of david lynch interviews and at one point you know it was kind of like not quite access hollywood level but it was like you know one of those like tv sit down five minute sort of deals and um the the woman interviewing david lynch was like i have to know how did you come to that decision about the hat you know, what was the process like for Farnsworth's hat? And Lynch is like, 
well, I'm pretty sure, unless I'm mistaken, that that was Richard's hat. And it's like he just to the point of like, he's so, like you're saying, yeah. like this character. Everything seems so natural to the point of quite possibly it was just his hat that he was wearing that it's like, I think is super iconic in the film, you know? It's probably pretty true to life in a lot of ways. Cause I mean, he did like finish out his life just living on a ranch in New Mexico. Um, so, you know, th- that, that is a part of his, his DNA, but I just mean like, I guess this, this more, you know, small town, poor, you know, uh, mm-hmm. world war two yes. veteran guy. Like, I don't know. He just like, he is that guy in this movie and it's, and it's really incredible. Um, I, again, like, where the line is between autobiographical and, you know, biographical, whatever, like, I don't know. But it, it just is really impressive to me that he became this person so fully. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned uh, the World War II veteran component. Should we talk about that scene? Because that scene is unbelievable. It's devastating. Yeah. Um, talk about my kind of directing that in, in terms of stuff I respond to, like... Nice, long take where, especially when we get to Farnsworth's story, you know, there's, they're trading these very emotionally heavy stories. Also, I'll just say I one time got a bunch of shit for ordering milk at a bar and it was good to see Farnsworth had some milk going because he wasn't drinking at the time in the, in the movie. Um, but, um, you know, they're exchanging these kind of World War II horror stories and it's, it's, you know, traditional coverage kind of cutting back and forth especially and let's give a hat tip to that other older gentleman he's really great in that scene too yeah he, his story is is um i mean he must very be, sincere he must just be telling a story from his own life right like yeah it, it, it that felt too real to to not be his own experience dude that's a fantastic point because um or a fantastic thought because thinking about the scene of like him giving him a ride to the bar when they're in his car. And he's like, I'm moving a little faster and a little higher. And he's like, not the way you're moving down that, that on that lawnmower. And I remember thinking like, Oh, he didn't really nail that line. But now that we're, I think he's a non-actor. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Now that we're talking about it, it's like, Oh, he does kind of give me non-actor vibes. And, um, it's really, um, yeah. So he is, he is stupendous. Whether he's an actor or not, he's great in that scene. Um, but then it cuts over to Farnsworth's, you know, sort of tale of tragedy from the war. And it's probably two minutes, maybe longer. No, cut. I couldn't see any cuts away. It's just like it's just letting the performance just breathe. Leave it alone. Let the actor kind of set set into it like and, and deal with it. And it's it's so it's so beautifully performed and it's so emotional. I'm just so glad that they're not cutting over here. Hundred percent. Yeah. Reaction shots, like just let it breathe, and it is just a perfectly delivered monologue. Well, to give the actor a name, uh, his name is Wiley Harker, and he actually was an actor. He has oh, okay. he has okay. 33 credits on IMDb. So, I mean, it still could be a personal experience that he's relaying for that character, but he's definitely an actor, which is crazy. Um, if that is just a performance of something written. It, that in itself is an insane performance. I mean, talk about supporting, supporting uh, nominations for, yeah. the, for the units. Yeah, for the units, yeah. Um, but yeah, just inc- an incredible, incredible monologue, bo- both of them in that scene, just knock it out of the park. And um, 
Yeah. Uh, and, and to your point about the directing, I think like there are some really nice touches in there too, uh, of just like they, they make a point of the bartender being kind of like off to the side. Yes. Yes. I was you just going like, to say that. Well, I read that in an article and, and I want to give credit. It's, um, it's an article on the ringer. I'm, I, I should have pulled it up to get the, the author's name. I, I'm blanking on it, but it was a ringer article and they're kind of like talking about this movie in retrospect. And, um, and yeah, they pointed that out. And when I rewatched it, I was like, Oh my God, that's like such Dude, a great little touch. It, such a great touch. They, they cut to that wide where the, we see the backs of the two vets and he's just there kind the bartender is like in earshot, but so he, obviously has heard this conversation yeah. and there's nothing he can say to, nor does he want to say anything. And he's just sitting. He's he knows it's like not his the audience place to chime in at all. Yeah. He's like the audience. were just sitting in this truth that these two men have expressed and there's nothing you know, and he's just, he's processing it too. And I, I didn't notice it until the second watch. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, oh fuck, like that's a great touch. Cause like, you know, they could have done something like, uh, oh, I got to go change the keg or just leave them alone, you know? But it's nice to have this really emotional scene. And then we, we, we snap out and we see that someone else has overheard this too. And is equally moved as we are. It's just a great, great choice. Yeah, it really is. Um, that scene is, is incredible yeah it's one of my favorites in the movie if not uh my favorite and some and a, and a bunch of great scenes in this movie too we should talk about the ending yes yes we should are we are, is it time i mean i talk? think i think we should we've gone through like all the big emotional sweeping scenes you know that yeah, just, yeah, that yeah, just yeah. break you and it's i mean time. this is the simplest one of the bunch in terms of staging but the most complicated in terms of emotions and um it, it's short, it's sweet, but holy fuck, does it level you? Oh my God, dude. Oh my God. So the whole time, because I remember when we had talked about Straight Story and how we, last OG or one of the last, and you know, you and I have been kind of chatting about it occasionally throughout different episodes. You had mentioned that Harry Dean Stanton was in this movie. I know, and I kind of regret no, it in hindsight. But you, as I, my memory is you asked if, 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 I wanted you I to did. say anything. I did get your so permission. So I gave you the I gave you the green light because you were like, oh shit, he's in a movie that's on the board. And I was like, which one? He's like, you sure? It was not a spoil and, bomb. No, no, no. I, I asked for the information. So um I mean he I would have noticed him in the he's in the opening credits, right? He may be. Yeah, he might, yeah, he is. He has to I think be. he is. So he I probably would have caught the name. But so the whole time I'm watching the movie, I was like, Oh, when is Harry Dean Stanton gonna be in this? movie. I know he's coming. I'm very excited. I'm a huge fan of his and kind of a recent fan of his. I've really just fallen in love with him like the last two years or so. And um, so I'm like looking out for him. I'm thinking, oh, is this, I think he's just going to be someone he bumps into on the road, you know, because because I feel like Harry Dean Stanton and Farnsworth are pretty different in age. So I was expecting Stanton to be like kind of like the guy who helps him fix the mower and like lets him. Well, I mean, Stanton was older than you think. Cause I mean, he was like, even in repo man, he's like probably in his fifties at that point. Yeah. Right. Well, cause he was in his nineties when he passed. Right. He was old. Stanton yeah. was. He, he went, he, yeah. So they actually are similar age. Cause I think Farnsworth was 80 when he passed away and that was in 90 and 2000, I think. So, um, and then Stanton died maybe three or four years ago. Um, so yeah, they were, they were around the same age. I guess he just, I didn't recognize it really. Mm -hmm. Um, so then as we get closer and closer, um, 
to the the destination of this whole journey, I'm like, oh my God, Stanton's going to be the brother. And I am so glad I did not pause the movie through the whole back half because I was watching it on Disney Plus. Again, oh yeah, just as a shout out, it's a, currently a time of recording available on Disney Plus. It will um, be in perpetuity. Oh yeah, because it's a Disney movie. Yeah. That's another thing that kind of throws you off at the intro. It's like, this is Disney? And so we're getting closer and closer to the terminus of this voyage. And I'm like, I'm so glad. Because you know how it is with a streaming service. When you pause it, it shows you time remaining. Yeah, which I, I looked I, at and I was like, I was clocking. I was like, oh, man, we're like getting down to the wire here. We're not so going to get any of him. So I think that's why I was so on first viewing. I found the ending abrupt because I didn't know how much time was left in the film. Yeah. Uh, which I'm really I'm really thankful that I, I had that. I kind of wish you could like go into settings and turn that off. Because some, and sometimes I want that information. So I'm not saying it's always a bad thing. But I'm very glad that I didn't have to like pee or something and, and see there was only five minutes left in the film or whatever. Um, but yeah, so Harry Dean comes out of that on that porch the most modest house i've ever seen and he'll be uh, definitely in the in the running for best supporting for me he's barely in this film and he absolutely destroys it it's incredible it's perfect what does he say 10 words 20 he has three lines of dialogue and wow one one of them is just alvin Mm-hmm. The second one is sit down, Alvin. And then mm-hmm. he has one more line, which is acknowledging the, the lawnmower. Dr- and yeah, the, you he drove took that it all, the whole yeah. way. That's all he says. And it's and, everything else is wordless. And it's incredible. Yeah, it's it's it really shook me up. And another another all eyes, all in the face, all not even in the face. We talk Those about it in the face. Watery, droopy eyes. It's this movie is all in the eyes. It's not just the face. And and of all the actors that really stand out in this movie, like I couldn't stop staring at like like or I couldn't stop recognizing the emotion that they're portraying just through looks. Yeah. And Harry Dean is is right at the top of that list, right next to Farnsworth, even though he they have such lopsided screen time. He he steps out onto that porch into Farnsworth <laughs> magnificent eye emotional arena and just goes they just toe to toe isn't right because it's not a battle but he they meet each other on that plane oh, yeah. and express um uh this sort of like I- incredibly complicated emotions and I'm so so glad just from a writing standpoint that that scene ends when it does and we don't get any sort of I'm sorry about that. I can't. I'm so glad you came. I can't. I don't even know what we were Doesn't fighting need to be about. Said. They both. They both are old enough. They've had enough experience to know yep. exactly why that person is there and what that meant. What that? Yeah, and the importance of that. Completely agree. Um, good God! And it's just like, what a great ending. And that'll be one I'll be kicking around for best endings for, for the Eunice for sure. The amount of restraint is incredible, and like, and like you said, like there, there's not a lot of like crazy you know manipulative shot sequencing you know to like trick your brain like like it the final shots of them are just hyper close up on their face just like drinking in their reactions to what's happening in that moment and like man one of the best moments like one of the most like like I don't even maybe heartwarming is a word I, I don't I don't even know how you describe it because it's simultaneously sad and happy at the same time but like when Richard Farnsworth calls out 
you know, for Lyle and he doesn't get a response at first. And he's like starting to like realize like it, he could just be gone. Like I, I might've been too late. And then he hears, you know, Lyle call Alvin from inside the house and he lets out this like, like uh, this breath of just relief Um, and like, and his eyes kind of like light up and well up a little bit. And it's like, that's one of the most amazing single looks I've ever seen given in a movie. And then Harry Dean like matches it with his Mm -hmm. acknowledgement of the lawnmower. Yes. And it's just like, these two guys are just like absolutely fucking crushing it. (laughs) It's insane. And what I'm just realizing now as we're, as we're talking about this scene is you know, the whole time leading up to it, he's getting he's being offered a ride from that other person. And he's like, oh, you're a kind man talking to a stubborn man. Uh, I, I got to do this on my own. He says that to his, his daughter, Rose, like, I got to do this on my own. And we get the idea that he is stubborn and driven and he likes to be independent, even though his sort of um, physical abilities are limiting his his amount of independence. Um, but I think as 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 we talk about this scene, I think he, Farnsworth views it as really important that Harry Dean Stanton saw how much effort it took for him to get there. And that is, is probably be like one of the only things that could kind of, it's like a proof of getting over this disagreement. And like the lengths I'm willing to go to let bygones be got bygones. If he just steps off a bus and is just there, that doesn't carry the weight of a multi-month journey well, to get to him. We've all had those experiences in life where it's like there's a rift in a relationship and um, there's a perfunctory apology that doesn't actually mean all that much because it feels self-serving in some way. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you completely that I think deep down... Uh, Alvin knows that him just showing up isn't going to fix things because that doesn't necessarily communicate um, true humility in that moment, you know, Mm -hmm. whereas him showing up on the lawnmower, like that is sacrifice that he has made to try and repair this relationship. He's like doing his penance Mm -hmm. and um, that that means so much more than just showing up does. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the, the the effort it took to get there is proof of where we're this is my attempt at us moving beyond this. And he's not even I don't even think Farnsworth is saying that he's entirely to blame, and I don't think you're saying that either. Like I think that um it's just an acknowledgement of like this is the amount of work I'm willing to go through simply to have us come back together. And I think I think we all have had that experience too of like you know that you should repair a relationship. And so you're, you're trying to do that because you know, you should, as opposed to actually wanting to, and actually like having that feeling of like, I, you know, I need to do this. Um, it wouldn't mean as much coming from him if it's just like, we're about to die. Like, let's get this out of the way, you know, like, let's, let's just do this. And, and, but it means more that, you know, he's, he's, got a finite amount of time and he's still taking that that little bit of time that he has left to devote to trying to fix this it just it, it means everything and like yeah it's 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 the way the symbolic nature of, of everything going on like you don't fully realize until that moment yeah i mean and it also it's just like it's just such a great scene 
from at, at every level. The writing is perfect. It's so subtle. Isn't it? It's so minimal. That's the word. Not even subtle, but it's minimalistic writing. Again, so much is unsaid. Perfectly framed and shot and brilliantly performed. I wonder if they had written a whole like conversation and then they mm. scrapped it. I don't know. I, I wonder too. I didn't see anything about that in the minimal research that I did. Um, but uh, I'd be curious to hear like if that was in the script that way. Yeah. Yeah. If they were like, why are we, why are they talking about, we don't need to hear the apology. That feels like, like one of those of moments on the day where yeah. like they looked at it and they're like, we can do this without all of this. I could, I could completely see it going either way. I could see them, being like on the day, like, no, 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 let's, let's trim it back. We need less. And I could also see him like in pre-production being like, if we, if we do our jobs and if we explain the story well enough up until this point, less will be more. And we can just, we can just really rein it in. Um, and also like, that is a bit of a, of a gamble. You're, I mean, you're, you're, you're putting the entire movie on Harry Dean Stanton's shoulders to some degree. Like, uh, Farnsworth has already carried the water the whole time and has done amazing. But if Stanton comes out and, and isn't able to deliver, the entire thing falls a fucking part. So think of that, that um, you know, if you're doing your job as an actor, you're, you're probably not thinking that way. But it would be tough to avoid that. Like, wow. so I have to step out on this porch and, you know, pretend this guy's my brother and I haven't seen him forever. And it means these zillion different things to me. And I need to portray it all. And if I fail, the whole movie's going to collapse. Isn't that kind of the magic of Harry Dean, though? He just like, yeah. he he's the kind of guy you can call in for one day and be like, I know he's going to knock it out of the park. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like, there's a reason he would just pop up in bit parts everywhere for like his whole career. It's because they knew they could trust him with any amount of material, like to just like deliver. And like, mm -hmm. it, it's like, it's like a cheat code at the end of this movie to like plug him in for these two minutes. Yeah. It reminds me of, um, a comedians in cars episode where Martin short was on Yeah, and Jerry Seinfeld was doing his little voiceover and he's like, it's like Martin Short. You're never nervous when you have Martin Short. You always know he's going to deliver. You always know he's going to be hysterical. Up and Dragon. Yeah. <laughs> it was a stupid hire. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> just to this day, one of my favorite lines. The, easily my favorite. Series, let alone the rest of development episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's deaf in his left ear. It was a stupid it's What hire. happens to a man when you shake him? Yeah. <laughs> God, he's so fucking funny. Sorry, um, I can't. I can't no, no, help no. but think about that every time any, <laughs> anyone brings up Martin Short. That's all I can think about. And when he throws up, and he just goes, "Ignore it, ignore it." <laughs> God, I fucking love Martin Short. But um, anyway, um, Harry Dean Stanton is like the dramatic version of that. Like, yeah. just plug and play. Yeah, throw him in there, and he's gonna fucking crush. And I've never seen him stumble. Not like I'm deeply well versed, but um, God, he's great. Should we round out the actors and talk a little bit about Sissy Spacek? Oh my God, we gotta. All right, we got it. You've um, you've mentioned a few times on this show that you have not seen but want to see Badlands, which I have yes. watched, and that is her kind of introduction to the world. Um. She's tremendous in that movie. You need to go watch that. Yeah, I I I was thinking because I know the name. I mean, it's a very well. She's Carrie. Yeah. Well, I I, I didn't know that until today. Oh. Um. But like when her name came up uh, in the opening credits, it's like okay, I know that Sissy Spacek 
is an actor. And I know that she's done, she's been around for a while. Um, and in my mind, I kind of thought she was like Winona Ryder-ish or something. I don't know why I thought that. Um, what do you mean by Winona Ryder-ish? I thought she looked more like that, I guess. Um, I, mm. I, I don't even know where that's coming from. But um, when when she shows up, I wouldn't even say I didn't recognize her because I don't think I know what she looks like, really. I've, I, and then going through her filmography, I'm like, holy shit, I have seen almost nothing that she in. Really? She's, she's in. You mentioned Badlands. Haven't seen that. I haven't seen Carrie, like mentioned before. What is some, do you have it in front of you? What are some of her other big roles? Well, looking at Letterboxd, uh, and I'm looking at her filmography that's ranked in terms of popularity of the movies. Um, so <clears throat> ones that kind of stick out. Um, the Help, um, Hot Rod, JFK, uh, Three Women, The Old Man and the Gun, uh, In the Bedroom. Yeah, I mean, I mean, she's in she's in a lot of stuff. Mm, yeah, um, a lot of those I haven't seen. I've seen The Help. I've only seen. I mean, I've I've really only seen her in her major parts, uh, like Carrie and Badlands, and um, now The Straight Story. Um, but you know, I I always. I always liked her whenever I saw her in like bit parts as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, again, knowing really nothing about what else she's got going on, she really blew me away with this performance. Like she st- sells the stutter completely. Um, and it's a very, a very endearing and sweet and lovable character. And it just was a complete, uh, devastating performance it was also funny at times and 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 quite charming um but good god is she good in this in my opinion she's she's great i was a little nervous about the performance when i first recognized that she was playing a, a, a mentally challenged person um is that the proper terminology I how, no, how I would don't, we say that i don't know i think uh, i mean farnsworth mentions how like she's not really limited like Farnsworth's character said because she like she has a stutter and is odd no I think I think I I I, want to say that there's more I mean the reason she has her kids taken away from her is because she has some sort of diagnosis I just don't Mm -hmm. know what that is yeah I'm not sure I'm not sure what it is either I mean Farnsworth she's disabled in some way yeah or just certainly uh uh not typical I know that yeah, um, neuro- neurodivergent probably. You know, having having a uh, a nephew it. who has Down syndrome. I know that that's a terminology that is commonly used. Is typical, as as opposed to something like normal, um, like and and average is is typical is kind of like the baseline of of you know typical. So so when I first saw that, I was like, ah, this is tiptoeing into some some really dodgy territory, um, in terms of like what is the morality of of portraying you know, disabilities that you don't have. Um, well, I mean, that's just, I think that's a debate in Hollywood is, is it for sure. Like, no, you know, a, is it a, right for a person who does not have down syndrome to play someone with downs? Like that's, yeah. that's, you know, yeah, I, I don't know. It, like, you know, is it, it's a, it's a definite gray area and some of it does get into stereotypes and, and into like negative portrayals that are just really unfortunate. And that's why that conversation is had. But what, but to your point, this, this performance never feels like it's talking down to this character. Like it never no. feels like, like it's, it's, um, portraying it in an offensive light. Like she, she's, there is a lot of sensitivity towards that character. Well, and it's funny too, like, 
I think of that scene in the grocery store early on when she's buying all the the meat and stuff for her dad. And on first viewing, I'm like, oh, she's just a little confused because she has that interaction with the cashier who's like, I love parties and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, are you having a party? And Sissy SpaceX like, I'm not having a party. Are you having a party? (laughs) And on first viewing, I'm like, oh, Sissy SpaceX is someone, Rose is someone who gets easily confused and, and yada, yada. On second watch, I totally understand why she was thrown because the way the cashier says like having a party, she doesn't, she doesn't really put the question there. Yeah. She kind of says it like flat. So it's like, it's, it's, it's a really good scene in that way where it's like, Oh, anybody could be confused by the way the cashier approached that conversation. Anyone with a literal thinking mind, you know? Yeah. Uh, And what is, what is so heartbreaking for me? um, I mean, well, first of all, sissy's, I think great. And I also acknowledge and, and understand that that kind of conversation you alluded to is an important one. And it's a, it's a good, it's a good conversation to have, you know, and, and I generally side um, on the side of anybody can do any sort of performance um, if it's, if it's done well within it's reason, done with sensitivity and sincerity, like, you know, blackface or something absurd like that. Uh, but yeah, I'm just saying, though, even though I lean on like let performers perform, uh, I, I'm not saying that that's in, that's completely ironclad correct. Like I understand there's there's subtlety there, and I'm not saying people who yeah uh, maybe are more sensitive to it are not are, they're not wrong. But um, thinking of that scene in in the grocery store and stuff, and we get introduced to this character, and she's like really really sweet, really goofy, a little different, and obviously there does seem to be something atypical about her. But then we get that scene with the young hitchhiker that you mentioned earlier, and we get that entire other layer about this character, about how she's this mother who has had her kids taken away and stuff, and we get that shot of her looking out the window, and I'm pretty sure she's imagining that kid there. You know, first first viewing, I thought there was just a kid playing there, and that jogged her memory, and then second viewing is like, oh, no, I think she's picturing. They they photograph it very dreamlike as well. Yeah, and it's just um, it's just really sad, and that's another thing that I think is so uh, beautifully portrayed on Farnsworth's face, is especially when he's on the phone with her and he's he's trying to get the social security check to pay for the lawnmower repair, and he, first of all, on like at one layer, um, I think part of him is wondering if this is the last time they're going to speak just because that's probably how things happen towards the end of life is you wonder whenever the last of anything's going to be. And then on top of that, he can't, he he's just showing so well in his face that like, what's going to happen to her after I'm gone. And it's just so sad and it's so uh, touching and kind of messed up. But I'm just so glad that um, they added that complexity to, to Sissy's character of the fact that she is a mother and has had this kind of heartbreaking thing that was not her fault happened. And now she's like lost her kids. It's just like, again, just like that's what I think works so well in this movie is the day to day heaviness of life and these kind of tragedies that stack up. They're just so much, there's so much weight. And I think it, it, it expresses that all so well. And, and she, I think she's really, really good in this too. I mean, I'm kind of talking about the character in the movie in general, but um, I don't want to take away from from Sissy. She's excellent in this, I think. 100%. Um, to go back to Badlands real quick, just to, just to kind of uh, 
compare it with our days of heaven conversation. Um, you know, in that conversation, I remember you kind of talking about the, the, well, that actually might be the episode you brought up the folksy wisdom because it's the yes, one where we're talking, it is. it's the a lot of that vo- the uh, voiceover work yep. done by the young girl who's kind of like You're describing exactly things right. very simply. Um, so in Badlands, it's Sissy Spacek who's doing that kind of dialogue, like that voiceover narrating like the events of, of her and um, uh, Martin Sheen's character kind of, you know, going on the run together. Um, it's you, you need to watch it just to like bring that triangle together, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I I mean, I'd love to, I mean, we obviously both really dug days of heaven and I know that you were, you were banging the drum for Badlands. It's a really great movie. I mean, Badlands kind of sprung you into it, right? Or was it? Yeah, that was, uh, that was the first, um, no, I take that back. Sorry. Uh, uh, Thin Red Line I watched That's in college. Right. That was the first Malik I ever watched. But uh, I think Badlands was the second one. Yeah, I, I I've been wanting to see it for a couple of years now, and and um, and this movie, the straight story, has really um, made me want to see more of Sissy. Because again, when she when she showed up on screen, I was like, oh, I don't know who this is. I just know the name. I really have not seen much of her, and I was really impressed with this. So I will be kind of looking to see more of her work for sure. She's got a very lovable face. Yes, she does. You're just like, I really like this person. She seems very sweet. Yeah. Yeah. You just want to give her a hug. Yeah. And, um, as we're kind of talking about her and like the sort of, um, the scenes of her in like the grocery store and, and on the phone with her dad, stuff like that. Were you getting sort of Coen brothers ish vibes from a lot of those scenes comedically? Like, uh, the misinterpretation with the cashier and, and this is more a Farnsworth thing, but the 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 haggling to buy the grabber from I, that guy. The grabber scene is absolutely <laughs> everything involving those old guys in in his hometown is mm-hmm. like straight out of a Coen Brothers movie. Yeah, like I'm thinking of like oh, those geez, shots. Alvin. <laughs> oh jeez. Oh, That's my good grabber, Alvin. And I like I guess uh, I have a second one. Ah <laughs> oh, jeez, Alvin. God. I could order it, but uh, oh, that's a good grabber, Alvin. And then, like, <laughs> what you gonna like, use that grabber for, there, Galvin? <laughs> grabbing, grabbing, <laughs> and like the uh, the the shot of that guy's. Like, what you need all that gas for, Alvin? It kind of reminds me of that shot in Burn After Reading with the, with the, the janitor guy. It's like I found it on the floor there, and he just kind of keeps like <laughs> saying that. <laughs> it's like kind of that sort of like Cohen-y sort of energy. Yeah, um, was definitely in that sort of the the opening of that film. You know, hey, dude, it's Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> and also with like the, the, the nosy neighbor, I love how <laughs> surly Alvin's friend is with her because she's just like, Rose isn't here. And he's like, was I hollering for Rose? <laughs> <laughs> love that shot, by the way, because she's doing the sunning herself thing and she's in focus in the front and the older man is in the back door like out of focus kind of it's just great framing but i love when that guy walks in the door and he sees him on the ground and he's like what are you doing on the floor there alvin (laughs) yeah (laughs) that was another kind of coney brothers thing yeah and also like i wanted to give a shout out to the way this movie starts that kind of sort of crane swooping shot in between the houses and then we hear the fall and so the movie as that is the opener i'm like oh shit this movie is going to be sad i I kind of was like wait are we going to just be in the afterlife (laughs) I thought it was like, is it going to be a flashback? It's like, this is how he dies. And then we see like yeah. before. And then, so I'm like, oh, this is going to be heavy. We just heard a, like a 
for a while, all we know on first watch, a body hit the floor. Right. And then we have that scene where the old guy comes in and he's just like, oh, yeah, I'm just down here on the floor. And then I'm like, oh, no, it's going to be funny. And then he's at the doctor the next scene and it's sad again. And I'm like, oh, it's this, this is what it's going to be. It's going to mm-hmm. be up and down, up and down. Uh, and so I think it, it just in terms of structuring, structuring an opening to be resonant of what the movie's going to be like. It's really kind of subtly good at well, going up and down like that. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm glad the movie starts like it does because it needs that early levity, I think, to carry you through mm-hmm. the the darkness of the back half of the movie. <laughs> yeah. um, I think if you don't have those scenes going into it, it might feel like too devastating to bear at a certain yes. point. Um, but yeah, because I, yeah, I, I, I don't think that... I don't necessarily agree with you in terms of it like kind of indicating what the movie is going to be like, because I think it drops the comedy pretty quickly after he gets on the road. Yeah, I'm trying to think about it. Um, They're re- I mean, they're like nice. They try scenes. with the brothers. I think, yeah, the brothers. Really never, yeah, it doesn't really work. But I guess that is an attempt. Um, but yeah, I, I, well, and I, I guess you also have the scene of the woman who like says, I hit 13 deer oh, in the, the last deer. week. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's so funny that, like, very stylized shot when we hear the tires screech and Farnsworth is on the tractor driving and it, like, kind of, like, shakily snap zooms in and we just hear this big accident and the look on his face is, like, borderline terror and then it's just a, a struck deer. It's <laughs> pretty funny. Yeah. And, yeah, it's like, how many was <laughs> 13? Is that what he said? Yeah, That's in the crazy. last week. Yeah, she's, she's like, "Where do they come from?" Yeah, I. What did she listen? Public Enemy. I blast Public Enemy. It's like everyone knows the deer <laughs> hate Public Enemy. <laughs> yeah, that was good. But I think I I tend to agree with you that that after the opening and the levity there, like the old people in the town and them all kind of shooting the shit together and being nosy or whatever, it does kind of evaporate pretty quickly. Yeah. So I, w- I would agree with you. There. It's sprinkled in, but yeah, I guess it, it, I, I just feel like it leans a lot more on the darkness at that point. I guess it's kind of funny that we didn't really uh, mention this. No, actually, it's not funny. It makes sense because we came at this movie through Norm MacDonald and Norm MacDonald came at it through talking about Farnsworth. But um, I guess I don't really know much about your experience with David Lynch. Do you have any films in his kind of repertoire that you've seen you dig? Do you have a feeling about him in general? David Lynch was a blind spot for me for a long time um, and still is uh, largely. I watched Blue Velvet during the pandemic and really did not respond to it. Really? Um, yeah, I kind of actively disliked it even to an extent, to a point. Um, I think it's by well, that read? Well, <sighs> It's hard to say because, I mean, like, that's a period of time where, like, there were days where I was just in a, you know, funk, you know, because, like, I oh, mean, yeah. the, pandemic the entire was, world like, was depressed. Yeah, exactly. And, like, yeah. I don't know if I totally trust that it wasn't just wrong movie, wrong time kind of thing. Right. But I just, I, I, the weirdness of it didn't connect for me in the same way that, like, you know, people like David Cronenberg or uh, the Coen brothers or or uh, Charlie Kaufman, like these these filmmakers who go to these crazy, weird areas. Um, I think it's I'm, I'm pretty hit or miss on on those kind of filmmakers. And like those ones that I just listed, I respond to tremendously versus like like a Terry Gilliam where I'm like, I, I don't get it. I, I don't get the appeal. 
And um, I think, you know, after seeing Blue Velvet, I kind of lumped David Lynch into that Terry Gilliam side of things where I was just like, it doesn't doesn't work for me. It doesn't connect. But this movie, even though I, I know it's a major departure for him, it does make me a lot more eager to dig into some of that stuff and and try and see if I just had a, a wrong read on it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he is someone that I would say I also am pretty underseen on. When I was in maybe late middle school, I saw Elephant Man, mm. but really didn't see it. You know, I was hanging out at my uncle's house and... We were watching it with them, and I was just like, uh, "It's black and white. What? What's going on?" And I just, it didn't. It was I was too young. And then, years later, almost decades later, I guess, I saw Mulholland Drive, and that was I went with a couple of Lynch fanatics. It was playing at a movie theater nearby, and I didn't really know what I was getting into. And I'd already started falling in love with Inherent Vice at this point. Like I had start that movie had finally started to click with me. Mm-hmm. So at that point, I was more receptive to like bizarre kind of movies that you don't necessarily need to pay attention to to enjoy. Um, tradition, obviously, richly carried on in films like Putney Swope and other things like that we've covered on this show. So I did not know much about going. I did not know much going in about Mulholland Drive, and I just loved it. It's like this movie's fucking great. Like it's so strange. Well, a lot of people bizarre. put it on their best of the decade list. Yeah, I really, I really liked it. But in a bizarre turn, I walk out of the movie theater, and you know, the, you know, Lynch fans, your brother's one. Whenever you walk out of a Lynch experience, uh, and you're not a big Lynch guy, or you don't know if you are, they kind of look nervously at you, and they're just like, well, "What did you, what did you think?" Knowing that you just sat through something really bizarre. And they're probably a little nervous that you're going to say something like that fucking sucked or what the hell was that? And I just I loved it without hesitation. I was not like, yeah, that was weird. I was like, that was fucking great and really weird. But then I didn't carry it further. I was like, I didn't like pursue more Lynch, which is really weird. And um, he's got a great big section at Videodrome. Like, it's right in front of me. Um, But I just haven't. Every time I think about exploring it, I'm just I have that not right now sort of thought. Um, so, but someone I definitely want to check more out and certainly seems like a very unique, iconic filmmaker. I actually have twin peaks, the DVD box set that someone recommended that I check out. And, Mm -hmm. um, my buddy Travis, who is, who kind of taught me how to edit and, uh, we worked together on a couple of gigs and he's a filmmaker himself. And he, he said, because he had gotten to know me at this point, we'd worked together quite a bit. He was like, you will love this show. Like, trust me. And I had seen one episode of that first episode and it didn't really grab me. So I was like, okay. And I had just finished a gig and I was feeling kind of flush. So I just like blind bought the entire box set on Amazon and it just collects dust in the cabinet. And I'm just like, not right now. Lynch to me is someone where I feel like I need to summon the courage to dive into one of into his world. Like, I feel Hmm. like I have to be in a certain headspace. Obviously I didn't feel that way about this because I had been briefed that it was, uh, among his lesser weird and strange works for lack of a better term. Sure. Um, but yeah, Lynch is someone I still really want to check out. And with having 
the straight story now and Mulholland Drive is two really uh, enriching experiences with him so far. I definitely going to be trying to track down more of his stuff. Yeah, it. Um, I, I have been putting off watching Mulholland Drive for way too long. I need to watch it. Now, do you have a specific reason or is it just like, is it like what I'm saying about like not not the right headspace sort of thing or is it something else maybe? I mean, when I was younger, you know, and falling in love with film, um, my way in was falling in love with the director and then just going through their filmography. And That's why I like blank check so much. Exactly. hundred percent. But, um, I guess I had always heard from, you know, other people like, Oh, Lynch is a weird one. You know, it's like, it's not for everyone or like, it's, it's very inaccessible kind of like, like that being the, the line on him, which I don't, I don't, I don't know that how, how much that actually is true, but, um, but yeah, I think that just put me off from starting that journey, you know, like, whereas like I had ways into other filmmakers, I, there wasn't a movie that felt like would give me a taste of his, like, like a perfect example is Rushmore, right? Like that's a way into Wes Anderson where it introduces you to some of his stylistic, you know, choices and some of like the vibe of his movies, but it's not to like the level of, uh, say, you know, Grand Budapest Hotel, where it's like maximalist, you know, version of, of all of his, his tendencies, you know? So like, I don't, I, I couldn't identify a movie in Lynch's career that would be that in for me. Um, so I guess I just, I just always put it off, but I, you know, after seeing this and, and just thinking about my relationship to Lynch, I definitely need to rewatch Blue Velvet. I need to watch Mulholland Drive. My brother said Eraserhead is amazing. Um, he said we should do Eraserhead on the show and he'll come on because there's a Philly connection. And, uh, my brother's like the biggest Philly person you'll ever meet. Uh, <laughs> him and John, who you met in Atlanta, yeah. John soccer guy. Uh, yeah. yeah. He, he should have grown up there and had the accent because, uh, he, he loves that place. But yeah, I haven't done Twin Peaks. I haven't done Dune while that heart got my attention as well. So I've got a lot to watch. Yeah. Yeah, and we've got good stuff to choose from. Isn't that bizarre that some filmmakers are just intimidating or whatever and others are not? You know, like I had no hesitancy of checking out a Spielberg movie or a Cohen. We mentioned the Coens earlier. Coen brothers are pretty approachable for the most part. Um, but something And Fargo about Lynch, is their kind of like perfect in movie, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would think, I wonder like, uh, you know, in like 30 years, if people like our age now are like... Um, Hey, where do I start in like Paul Thomas Anderson? It's probably Boogie Nights, right? Yeah, hundred percent. And then, but like, what do you think would be the worst starting point? Vice Inherent Vice, probably. Maybe The Master. <laughs> yeah, probably. Movies prob- I love. I would say Inherent record, but... Inherent Vice is probably the the least uh, Anderson. Yeah, I would say uh, the most challenging is The Master. Where it would just be oh, like, oh, I don't know about that. I think I think Magnolia is the most challenging. Oof, yeah. I mean, that's the thing is outside of Boogie Nights. And maybe there will be blood. The rest of them are kind of difficult in I a guess, good way. I guess the but. reason I say that is the master to me is like there's more reasons to keep you around. And it's going at such a leisurely kind of like pleasant pace that it doesn't it, it doesn't even if it doesn't make sense to you at while you're watching it necessarily like it, it there's stuff to appreciate. Whereas like 
Magnolia is so fucking coke fuel yeah, that like yeah, it is. <laughs> it, it's it's three hours of chaos just being thrown <laughs> at you, and you're like, I think it's disorienting. So like, I would yeah. never start someone on Magnolia for him. Yeah, that, I yeah. did that actually by accident with Eric in college. I bought the Magnolia Blu-ray, and I was like, this movie's crazy. We gotta like watch this one night, and we threw it on, and like 30 minutes in, Eric is just like, dude, we have to we have to watch something else. I can't yeah. do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not a movie, if you have never seen it before anyway, it's definitely not a movie that you just throw on. No. It's not that type of film. No. But, but, anyway. um, but yeah. yeah. So that's that's my relationship to Lynch. I'd like to, to dig more into it. And it sounds did like you, you do too. Yep. It's very similar here. Did you, did you, um, I had heard anyway that they shot it chronologically, which is I did hear cool. that, yeah. And they shot it basically on the same route that he took. Which is so cool. And and Lynch made the good point of like because yeah I don't even know if we mentioned that yet but this is no. this was a real person yeah oh you're right yeah we never mentioned this is based on true, this story. true story yeah yeah this is a true story and talk about a story that you'd think would be lame like if someone pitched it you'd be like uh, you can't make a movie out of that so so incorrect if if that is the assumption you had like I did uh, but yeah Lynch had mentioned how. They really wanted to capture the foliage change through across the journey. And for that reason, they, they had to almost entirely shoot it chronologically, which must have been so refreshing for the actors. Certainly Farnsworth on this on the road to see his brother. Yeah. And all these kind of checkpoints and milestones that happened on the way. So Did little, you see little that Blair fucking- Witchy in that way, too? Yeah, yeah. With the with the with well, the, with I'm the just saying, sticks. like in in terms of the, well, no, no, no. I mean, yeah, for sure that as well. But I was thinking more in terms of the chronology of it and like how they filmed it in sequence and how it's oh like yes, very, yes, it, yes, like, yes. I feel like that's a very experiential way to make a movie. And yeah, I don't know. Maybe that, that's, that's what that's he, the maybe I was making. Maybe that's what he meant when he said experimental. Maybe he was kind of like. We're going to shoot this chronologically. We're going to go on this journey as a film crew and we're going to capture these. You know, maybe that's kind of yeah, what maybe. Mitch that's probably for, part but, of it too. But um, yeah, that. Um, did you catch that red herring in the bar, by the way? What was the red herring? Well, this is one that I picked up on because, you know, I heard once in a, in a class in college studying movies, it just got burned in my mind that nothing is on the screen by accident for the most part. Like it's all. Everything is orchestrated. And unless obviously we're talking about improv or something like that. And the scene where Farnsworth goes in to have his first beer in however many years, the background is the uh, the weather, the local weather mm. on the news. And it says some headline of like big, big fall storm coming in and all this stuff. And I was just like, okay, they're showing that for a reason. Being so close to his brother, he's going to have one last big kind of act of nature to fight against or something. And it just totally didn't happen. So it's just like, oh, Oh, I'm kind of glad. But it didn't register with me. Yeah, maybe that was just me. But I I thought they were laying laying some seeds there and and they just weren't. (laughs) Well, yeah, I didn't I didn't catch that. Were there any other red herrings? It sounded like you said there were maybe more Um, than one. I thought there was another one. But if there was it. uh it slipped my mind. That's the only one I can think of now at the very least. I think um, there are points in the movie where it kind of head fakes you into thinking it's going to be a different movie than it is though. I I did kind of get some of that. Like I'm thinking, I mean, when he picks up that girl um, or not picks her up, but when he like meets with her around the fire, 
I kind of anticipated that turning into like a buddy you know, story where it's like the two of them kind of traversing this. this yeah, route. I thought so too. Yeah, like a ro- like like he was gonna pick these people up. She was gonna be in the in the in the in the trailer or yeah. something. Is there? Go- yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just I I thought it was gonna you know turn into like this generational thing of like the two of them and like being from different generations, but dealing with you know loss and and uh, fear of like family interactions and stuff. Yeah, and and then they just don't do that, and then like I, you kind of get a little. Uh, uh, potential for that again when uh you know he meets with that or he parks in the back of that family's house because you know he needs to get his mower fixed he just went down the hill and like um that guy like wants to take him himself and it's like oh it's about to turn into another like little buddy journey but no they they get rid of that one too it's it's (laughs) it's yeah i don't know i think it's interesting how they do that yeah dude until you mentioned this i had forgotten that my ignorance of who sissy spacek is was so deep that um when when the hitchhiker shows up at the fire i thought that was i was like oh is that sissy spacek because and, and like you i thought she was going to become like a major character in the film and yeah so that 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 okie doke got me too um and i didn't remember until you just mentioned it yeah um i don't know what the significance of that is but i do think it's interesting and and i think it's like it, it's in some ways, maybe it's Lynch saying, I'm not going to do the uh, the overly cinematic, stereotypical way of doing this, you know? And, like, there's not going to be these life lessons that are garnered. He's gotten all of his life lessons. And, like, it's just about coming to terms with them as opposed to, like, becoming a father figure or something. Yeah, and I think, too, I mean, what occurs to me now is is I think it's more about overlap. Like a lot of, a lot of, a lot in life is about temporary overlap and like existences crossing paths for a little while. And this movie seems to revel in those sort of temporary but important moments with, with a stranger, someone you don't really know. I think it's also interesting how the sequence of the strangers that he encounters, they kind of are like ascending in age you know, so he's like mm. kind of like dipping back into like different like points of, mm. of your life. So I like, like it starts that. with like the younger woman, like just becoming an adult, like dealing with, you know, kind of um, confronting the complexities of life. And mm-hmm. then it like you've got like the bikers, the bikers are, like are like, you know, kind 20s, of 20s, like 30s, a bit older, you know, taking care of your body, like whatever. And then like you get to like the middle aged family and then it ends. I would say the last of those is him, you know, uh, uh, getting the, the milk at the bar with the, you know, Mm -hmm. the person from his generation. And it's like, Mm -hmm. it all happens kind of in sequence that way. Yeah. And the, the bartender he gets the beer from is old, is older as well. For sure. He's, he's, it looks to be around his age at the very least. Yeah. It's like, Uh, yeah, I like that. that. I didn't notice that. Back through his life a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's like different, different, uh, what would you say to these people at these various points in the, in in your life? Now that's beautiful, man. I like that. Yeah. Well, Anything else we want to touch on? I think you you said yeah. you wanted to talk about the score maybe a little bit. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of a little bit uh, bullet pointy because I'm not really capable of, of speaking about um, any of this articulately, but certainly not music. But I just thought it was super fitting, particularly when he's on the road and uh, like on the lawnmower and those kind of that beautiful music and a lot of these sort of helicoptery shots. And they all just blended together so well. And the music did a good job of being bittersweet like this movie is. Mm -hmm. And, um, I thought it, 
just was the perfect, perfect compliment. And uh, my roommate Bridget was kind of reading a book and half watching while I was watching. And then she kind of put, put the book down. It's like, I really like the music when he's like road tripping on the mower. And I was mm-hmm. like, you know, you're right. It's really, it's, I mean, it's good throughout, but it really sings there for me. Um, and, um, is a good sounding movie. Like we talk about that a lot on this show. Um, but solid sound design. I remember the morning he leaves from that backyard after he's had the mower fixed. Um, you know, we get a shot of the the homeowner kind of looking out of his window as Farnsworth is firing it up to leave. And I just even just like the way the mower sounds when it's kicking on for the first time in several days. Um, yeah, just a, just a beautiful score and a good sounding movie overall. Yeah, I tend to agree. I think um, there are points where the score starts to dip into very 90s sounding tones and, and I'm not as big on it then but the points where it, it's just him traveling and you get that twangy guitar and everything yeah. I, I really dug yeah it's like dude when are, when are more composers going to find out you keep it acoustic it, it's probably going to be timeless <laughs> you don't have to worry about it you start throwing synthy stuff in there and other stuff and although yeah. that said we both really dug uh, Pi's score last week and that's a very of its time kind of sound but let me ask you one last question about it what day of the week or what time of day would you think would be the best time to see this first time? Would you would you suggest someone does it like you did after two beers, one a.m.? No, I, it's not. It's far from ideal for a first viewing, yeah. I would say. But I, it, you know, it worked though. I don't know. I think a rainy Sunday is it sounds like a nice oh, uh, nice watch for this. I got Wednesday night, nine p.m. <laughs> it's very specific. Very specific, but it's dark out. You're kind of middle of the week blues. Well, uh, everyone watch this and go cry about uh, the the fleeting nature of existence. <laughs> Getting older. Um, yeah, so glad we got to talk about the straight story. If you got Disney Plus, check it out. But that leads us to adding its replacement to the board. And this week is a Drew Clark week. Drew, do you have any contenders for what was it? It was 12, right? 12. Correct. Um, yeah, I've got, I've got a few ideas. I have flirted in the past with an idea of putting something on the board that I love deeply that you've never watched. Um, Ooh, is this the week? No, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'm still debating if I want to do that because I think the, one of the things I love about doing this show is forcing myself to watch things that I've put off or, you know, just haven't gotten to for whatever reason. So I don't think I'm going to do that. I want to put a movie on that is kind of just a a pleasant watch and -hmm. just see, see what we get out of that. You know, I'm thinking like the birdcage kind of like vibes. Chicken soup, chicken soup. And I think for that reason, I'm going to go with a movie called Big Night. Have you ever heard of Big Night? Never heard of it. I don't know who's in it. I don't know what it's about. And I don't know who directed it. Do you want to? I'll take the director. So Big Night is directed by Stanley Tucci. Really? The actor? Yes. I guess and director. Also stars in it. Yes. So... Hell yeah, dude! Yeah. I I, I Sorry, love that. I, I know you didn't say you wanted to know who stars, but he, he no, no, that's it, fine. So I think that's there, fine. there was some assumption there. That is that is green light. A okay. Can I give one hint towards yeah, give me, somebody else who's in it? And it's going to be very vague. One of the other main stars of this movie uh, was nominated for a Yuna. 
Ooh, that's perfectly vague. Yeah, leave it there. I'm going to try to not see who it is until the opening credits. Yeah. I'm going to really do what I can. But I'm not even Googling it now. You know, I was talking about my brother earlier, and this is a movie that he recommended to me a long time ago, and I've just never gotten around to. Um, so I think it's kind of a perfect movie to throw in this air, in this spot. And uh, Hell yeah, that, dude. I love it. For that reason, Big Night is going in at number 12. Well, I mean, I think this is kind of what you were saying, but like thinking of the th- the themes of this movie of brotherly love and kind of that the importance of the of family, perfect time to throw this on. And I would say too, circling back briefly to the one that you kind of really want to force me to watch, I would say save that for a week where you've got nothing. You know what I mean? Yeah. We've all had those weeks where it's like, I mean, I guess I'm looking at the list. This kind of like that's when you go with with the with the force force feed. <laughs> there's uh, I've got a few stewing, but uh, there there's a couple from the '60s that I'm obsessed with, and I know you haven't seen, but I know you would love. So I'm I'm I've got them in, I've got them locked and loaded in the chamber. Hell yeah, dude! But uh, was it called what something night? What's the name? Big of the one night going? from Big 1996. Night? At number one, we've got You Can Count On Me. Number two, Ikiru. Number three, Reflections of Evil. Number four, Rio Bravo. Number five, Operation Condor. Number six, Anomalisa. Number seven, Amadeus. Number eight, Election. Number nine, Get Carter. Number 10, The Limey. Number 11, Coraline. Number 12, Big Night. Number 13, Night Moves. Number 14, The Karate Kid. Number 15, Friends of Eddie Coyle. Number 16, Secrets and Lies. Number 17, Titan. Number 18, Snatch. Number 19, Strange Days. And number 20, The Terminator. (laughs) (laughs) I was stumbling there for a second. Big night, night moves. (laughs) (laughs) We should slam them together. Kind of fucked myself. (laughs) Oh, man. That's great. Um, That's great. Well, that's Um, the board. How about we throw that dart? Love it, dude. Right let's, hand. let's see if this is if we keep with the the dart having a mind of its own. Yeah, because I, 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 I remember which one we talked about. I forgot. And I'm going to keep it forgotten. And again, I'm right hand this time, aiming for the bull. Let's see what we get. Well, Drew, we have a number. What's that number? I'll tell you, it's geographically right next to the 12. So we almost oh. had a back-to-back. Okay. The number is five. Number five. Nice little change of pace here. We're doing Operation Condor. Oh! I fucking love that, dude. I love that. I have been wanting to see this movie for a while. A while. Three in a row, so I got... I'm developing a bit of a hot streak here. Three in a row. Maybe getting close to tying the four in a row. Next week could happen. Yeah, we'll see. Streaming check shows that Operation Condor, currently available on Canopy, if you have that library card access one, and pay to rent usual suspects. So should be easy to track down. We get a chance to talk about one of my favorite, my favorite, definitely my favorite action movie star of all time. A movie that neither of us have seen i'm looking forward to it dude and it should be a fun one probably gonna be some top brutes in there oh yeah hell yeah dude yeah uh jackie chan plays a character named asian hawk if that doesn't make you want to watch this movie (laughs) i don't know what what will there you go dude that's that's it right there put it on the poster 
Perfect. Next week will be Operation Condor. That'll do it this week for The Straight Story. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Please remember to rate, review, and give us a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. If you want to keep in touch or give us a recommendation, drop us a line at dartboardmovienight at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at dartboardmovienight. Artwork for the show is created by Veronica Roman, and all of our music is by Eric Williams. Play us out, Eric. Sorry, Mike. Later. just kind of remember that uh life is is uh beautiful and fleeting so kind of get that little goose in your step for maybe the rest of the week